Hi, and welcome to Makers and Shakers of Chinese History. I'm Mark. When I hear the name Li Hongzhang, the first word that comes to mind is controversial. While some consider him a patriot for his role in pioneering China's industrial and military modernization, others see him as a traitor because of the numerous unequal treaties he signed, which ceded Chinese territories to foreign invaders. By the end of this episode, perhaps you will decide for yourself whether he was a patriot or a traitor. Let's begin by opening a fact box about Li Hongzhang. First things first, who was he and why should we know about him? He was born in 1823 into a scholar-gentry family in East China. At the age of 24, he obtained a Jin Shu degree, an approximate equivalent of a doctorate degree, which allowed him to become a grassroots civil servant. He grasped at all opportunities over the following years to gradually prove his ability and eventually led forces to suppress the Taiping Rebellion, as well as many other rebellions. According to early 20th century historians, Li Hongzhang had been in charge of China's politics alone for decades after he quelled the Taiping Rebellion. He played a decisive role on the national level, administering both internal and external affairs. Renowned Chinese scholar Liang Qichao also wrote his own book entitled The Biography of Li Hongzhang that stated that the biography equaled 40 years of the late Qing dynasty. Why was it Li Hongzhang instead of the late Qing rulers who had been in charge of the dynasty's final decades? To quote the Chinese, a hero is nothing but a product of his time. To better understand that, you must first see the bigger picture of the socio-economic and political landscape in the late Qing dynasty. Following the two opium wars and the chaos caused by the Taiping rebels, the power of the imperial court in Beijing was hugely weakened, which merely functioned as the political centre. South China instead enjoyed greater social, economic, military, industrial and cultural growth, especially in the provinces of Jiangsu, Hubei and Guangdong. So the governors of these provinces held more power regarding the nation's lifelines. Li Hongzhang was one of them. Li Hongzhang was later promoted to a position that seemingly was the same as the Prime Minister or Grand Chancellor. But Li had more tasks and challenges than his predecessors had faced over the thousands of years of Chinese history. He had to deal with foreign invaders. China had never been under so much pressure from Western powers, and Li Hongzhang rose to the occasion. Remember in our previous episode that Prince Gong, Yi Xin, understood Westerners. He signed the Beijing Treaty with the British and French after the Second Opium War and founded the then Foreign Affairs Ministry of the Qing Empire. However, Prince Gong was involved in far fewer diplomatic negotiations than Li Hongzhang. Western powers only recognized Li as their counterpart, rather than anyone else. They'd done their homework and believed that the real power in the Qing Empire was with Li Hongzhang. Even when he was critically ill at the age of 77, he travelled over 2,000 kilometres from Guangzhou to Beijing to preside over negotiations with the Eight-Nation Alliance, including Britain, France and Germany, in 1900. Where were the royal members of the court, you might ask? 
Empress Dowager Cixi fled to Xi'an with weak Emperor Guangxu after Beijing was occupied. Li was desperately needed to talk with the foreigners about a peace treaty. Li Hongzheng had his unique skills and irreplaceability in diplomacy, but his foreign policies and peace treaties also earned him many negative reviews. In 1885, at the conclusion of the Sino-French War, Li arranged a treaty with the French, which recognized French control of all of Vietnam, originally China's tributary. This upset the Chinese public, who said that the Qing Empire was not defeated on the battlefield, but at the negotiating table. A decade later, in 1895, Li Hongzhang signed the notorious Shimonoseki Treaty, in which Taiwan was ceded to Japan. Failing to resist the Japanese army, the people of Taiwan were painfully grieved at the news. A scholar on the island, named Chou Feng Jia, wrote a poem, Prime Minister Li has the power to cede territories. A lone official like me is powerless to recover. Folks in the capital Beijing were very blunt in spreading their belief that Mr. Li is a traitor. The reformists that Li liked to support with donations gave him the cold shoulder and refused to be associated with him any longer. Former US President Ulysses S. Grant once listed Li Hongzheng as one of the four greatest men in the world, regarding him as the Otto von Bismarck of the East. However, when Li Hongzheng later visited Germany and met with Bismarck, the latter looked down upon Li for the series of unequal treaties he'd signed on behalf of his country. So was Li Hongzheng really a traitor? Did he fail to defend Chinese interests when dealing with invaders? Well, firstly, if anything, he was a contributor to the modernization efforts of the Qing Empire. His encounters with foreigners told him that the Qing Empire had already fallen behind the Western powers. This realization came in the 1860s when the Industrial Revolution was taking place on the other side of the world. Li was quick to decide that he needed to learn from the West to build a powerful army and cultivate knowledgeable scholars for the country. Starting in 1872, Li sent Chinese boys to the United States for education. Those graduates later became the elite of different industries in China. Jan Tianyo, the father of Chinese railways, was one of them. In 1885, Li founded the Tianjin Military Academy to train Chinese officers as part of his reforms. Mathematics, science and various practical military subjects were taught at the academy by German instructors. It was Li Hongzhang's proposals in education that blazed the trail for China's industrial and military modernization. Did he have to do what he did then? In his later years, Li Hongzhang asked himself that question during a self-evaluation and described himself as a paper hanger. Now, a paper hanger in Li's time was somebody who would apply a layer of paper to the walls of a room, but not for decorative purposes. In most cases, it was to repair a leaking wall or roof or to give the house a facelift before celebrating a new year, for example. 
The house didn't get sturdier with the help of a paper hanger. It was only superficial, looking newer on the surface and temporarily remaining wind and rain resistant until the next time you needed the paper hanger to visit. He compared the Qing Empire to a shabby house and he the paper hanger. He said that people who live in the house don't care what material they're using to protect the house. If there are a few minor holes caused by wind or rain, they would call him to repair them, and it would work for a while. But if all the paper was torn off and they were not ready to use alternative materials to control the damage, no matter how the repairer fixes it, it can't be fixed. In this case, how can the repairer be responsible for the damage? Lee believed that he had neither the ability nor the conditions necessary to turn things around for the Qing Empire. Liang Chi Chao, author of the biography of Li Hongjiang, said he respected Li's outstanding talents, but didn't approve of his values. The famous scholar and historian said, Li Hongjiang had no concept of a country. He didn't know the relationship between a country and its government, between the government and its people, so he could only be a paper hanger. He had no guts to overthrow the rule of the Manchu royals. Finally, many don't know that in 1895, while negotiating with Japan after China lost the Sino-Japanese War, Li Hongzhang was attacked by a Japanese assassin who shot him through the left cheek. Despite the severe injury, Li continued the negotiations and stopped the war that the assassin wished to continue. However, the Chinese only knew that his role had led to a huge loss for the country. In 1901, Li signed his final foreign treaty and obtained the departure of the Eight-Nation Alliance at the price of huge indemnities for the Chinese. Exhausted from the negotiations, he died from liver inflammation two months later in Beijing. So, what do you think? Was Li Hongjiang a patriot or a traitor? Or is it too difficult to call? Special thanks go to Sanliang Zhongdu for contributing to the content of Makers and Shakers of Chinese History. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe via wherever you tune in and give the show a rating. I'm Mark. Thanks for your company and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>